So Victoria is going to read, we're, we're, in, the, we're in Acts chapter 21, and she's going to read from 27 on through to 22 verse 29, and let me just say a little something before she starts reading about where we are. Paul is on his um, third missionary journey, and he has uh, been led by the Lord against the protests of those who are traveling with him to go back to Jerusalem. They've pled with him, please don't go, because the Holy Spirit has warned that uh, he's going to be, he's going to face suffering and persecution. And he's arrived and he's shared a report with the leaders of the Jerusalem church about all that God's done through him and his team and their ministry. And the church has rejoiced. And then they've said, oh, Oh crap! In other words, uh, Paul, uh, you're 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 going to be aware that now thousands of Jews have converted, and they think that you're teaching everybody against the law. And um, we think you should try to show that you aren't really doing that, that you're not against Judaism by taking these four men who are going to go make a vow, and uh, you go make it with them. You pay for their their um, the cost that they'd have to pay at the temple to. To, to take this vow. And so Paul submits himself to them and he says, okay, I'll do this. And um, he, th- they, they go to the temple and then this is a seven-day thing and it's just about over and that's where we pick up. All right, let's go to God's word. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, Help us. This is the man who teaches everyone, or teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Israel was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. The commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, get rid of him. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, 
Listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. But I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Thank you, Victoria. Mm -hmm. 
Friends, I want to begin by um, acknowledging that the dynamics of rage and a mob mentality and uh, this kind of uh, demonic resistance to Christians are not our everyday experience, but that they are the everyday experience of brothers and sisters of ours in many nations of the world right now. So we have siblings in Christ in Indonesia, in South Sudan, in China, all across different parts of Africa, Nepal, who live this text, like they live what Paul experienced here. And that's not our experience. So I want to acknowledge that before moving into my sermon because I found myself asking the Lord this week, Lord, how do you want to speak to us from this text? Even though this isn't our experience, there's a lot that I believe that you would say to us and have us to learn from this story. And so I just want to I just want to acknowledge those brothers and sisters and not move too quickly past their experience before beginning to preach, okay? Um, if you feel like you would like to learn more about what our brothers and sisters around the world experience, uh, Voice of the Martyrs puts out a wonderful little six- to eight-page uh, brochure newsletter that tells their stories and helps you to pray. And uh, I don't know, I want to say it comes every month or, or so. Is it every month? Yeah. Just Voice of the Martyrs, and it's free. If you sign up, send them an email, they'll send you that. They'll gladly send you this. Just a way of staying um, not centered on ourselves, but connected to the, the whole body of Christ. Okay, let's shift gears. This, this Christmas, uh, our kids love to give creative gifts to each other. They love to think about what they're going to give. And Peter decided that this year he was going to, he found a, a snowboard at a garage sale that he thought Sarah would like. And so he was going to send Sarah on a treasure hunt. He hid the snowboard in the shed, and then he was going to send her all over looking for the snowboard. So he made like 12, I think, right, Sarah, 12 different little notes that directed her to go someplace. And when she went to that place, she would find what it was that she was supposed to find there. And then there would be another note Maybe maybe a poem with a note, but it would direct her to some other ex- place and she would experience something else and finally she would end up at the, the place of the gift. Well, I'm thinking about treasure hunts because as I uh, spent time with this text this week, what really was impressed upon my heart was the fact that where our text ends isn't the end of the story. It's in the middle. And I found myself saying, what is it like to be Paul at this moment and not know exactly why you are where you are, what God has for you next, what your assignment is. It's kind of like as we followed Paul and the others through the book of Acts, like following God has been like a treasure hunt. You know, we, we saw in Acts 16 that the spirit of Jesus would not let them go into Bithynia. They were stopped at the border of Asia and then came this vision of a man from Macedonia and the sense we think God's calling us to Macedonia. And so they get on a boat and they cross 
uh, sea and they go into Macedonia, but they don't know what they're looking for other than this is the way that the Lord's uh, calling us and he's got people he wants us to share the gospel with. And then there's Lydia down by the river, right? So we're still on a treasure hunt. Paul's still on a treasure hunt. He's been called to Jerusalem, but he's not sure why. And so I've been thinking about uh, Paul's sense of call because here's how he expressed it twice leading up. The first thing he says in in that when about being called to Jerusalem is Acts 19:21. It says Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. That's the literal translation. It'll read a little different in your NIV, but it says he resolved in the spirit. That word in means in, with, or by. So whatever way you understand it, it means in prayer, listening to God, connected to the Spirit of God, Paul resolved to go to Jerusalem. Well, when you resolve something, it means you're kind of at a crossroads or a conflict. You don't quite know what's next. We use that word resolve to say, I'm not sure. Should I go this way? Should I go that way? Should I do this or should I do that? And you bring, it's like he brought it to the Lord and in the Spirit resolved Let's go to Jerusalem. Now let's read the next thing he says. Acts, next chapter, Acts 20, 23. Paul says, or Luke writes, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Spirit of God warns me that suffering and hardship is waiting me. Now isn't this interesting? First he resolved to go, made this decision, and a chapter later, it's stronger compelled. I want us to notice this. It's really small, but this happens all the time. God's guidance comes in seeds, comes real small most of the time. But when we take a step of faith, it's like God says, thank you and gives more. He, he strengthens the sense of calling. He affirms it. So it's like Paul says, Lord, what are we doing next? We're going to Jerusalem. Okay. I mean, maybe it wasn't that clear, but it, it, there's this, he resolved in the spirit, we're going to Jerusalem, and then he's on the way, and, and now it's compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. But he says, I don't know what's waiting for me there. I don't know. I only know that suffering and hardship waits for me in every city. So God's leading him. He's got an assignment, but right now the assignment's just to a place. There's a lot of people in Jerusalem. There's a lot of things that Paul could be doing. It's not his home turf. He's not the leader there. God, why are you sending me there? Now what? And so he goes to Jerusalem and he reports and he testifies and he obeys the leaders and he takes part in this purification ceremony. And then there's this week and what's he doing? And I'm imagining that maybe like in Athens when he walked around and he saw the city and he saw the idols Maybe he's walking around the city and saying, God, how are you at work here? What are you doing? What's my role? Just praying and listening. Maybe he's going to the local believers and he's trying to connect with them. And maybe he's trying to see who's come to the Lord since he left. I mean, he he spent a lot of time in this city. So how many of the people that were his friends now know Jesus? Maybe he's strengthening and encouraging people. We don't know. All he knows, all Paul knows at this point is, I'm called to a city. I'm called to Jerusalem. That's the guidance. 
Paul's call to Jerusalem. Where are you called? What have you been called to? What is the guidance, the last bit of guidance that you've received from the Lord? What is the Lord doing in your life right now? In Paul's life, it was, take my name to the Gentiles. What's the Lord saying to you? Maybe for some of you, the Lord's been saying, this is a season of healing. Maybe for some, the Lord's been saying, this is a season of strengthening. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to root you in my love. I'm going to strengthen you in my word. You need to be with me. Maybe for some, the Lord's saying, this is a season of training and equipping, of of being prepared for different service, more fruitful service. Maybe for some, it's a season of slowing down, cutting out extras. Maybe for some, it's a season of go to the streets in my name. I'm calling you to evangelize. You are my witness. Go to the streets. Maybe for some it's step out and build something for my kingdom. I'm calling you to build something. Where is the Lord calling you? What is the Lord calling you to? Whatever He's calling you and I to, we will face obstacles. We will face challenges that are unexpected. We will face the resistance of an enemy who in every way detests our healing, our strengthening, our fruitful service, our obedience to the Lord. Paul is in Jerusalem obeying the guidance of the Lord and he is looking, Lord, now what's next? And here comes the obstacle. He is hit like boom! F5 tornado hit. Swept off his feet in a moment. This is like, it's kind of hard to capture this when we read the text. And unless you've been in, in a situation like this, I mean, this is mob violence. One moment, he's, he's in the temple on his way to worship. It's quiet. He's minding his own business. And in the next minute, can I, Nick, come here. I'm sorry. I got to use somebody. Okay. It's going to be, can I be a little rough? Okay. Hey, hey, hey! This fellow here! He's the one who tells everybody to, to, to go against our law and our people and our place. Come here! And people start yelling. They get, they get, oh, wait, 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 Hey! And it's mob violence. They're dragging him out and dragging him out and dragging him out. And by the time they're at the doors, they're fomenting. They're full of anger and rage. This is scary stuff. Whole city gets riled up. You can sit down. Thank you. This is powerful stuff. The whole city is in an uproar. So much of an uproar that the, 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 the tribune, the centurion goes, what is going on? There's mob going on in the city. And he takes a bunch of soldiers down and he pulls them off of Paul and it says they're trying to kill him. Five minutes ago, he's walking, praying, minding his own business. 
Now he's on the ground with a bunch of people spouting venomous hatred at him, pounding on him, beating him. And then they're pulling those people off. And there's Paul. And he gets picked up by the soldiers. And the, and the tribune's shouting, what's going on here? And it's still so loud, so crazy, that he can't hear. He can't make sense of what people are saying to him. And he's got to carry Paul. says the violence of the mob was so strong that he's got to carry Paul. The soldiers have to carry him away. Jesus, what are you doing here? What's my call? What's my assignment in Jerusalem? And at the height of that violence, this is almost humorous, but I have to stop for a second and say something else. Um, I was beat up one time. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I shouldn't have been there. And a really big guy that was whacked up on drugs beat me uh, bloody to a pulp. And um, probably would have kept going if one of my uh, small colleagues didn't throw herself on top of my body. And he picked her up and threw her off and she jumped on again and finally... (laughs) Finally, his buddies dragged him away. Um, but that, that, was, that was about 25 years ago. And um, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I was so scared. All I wanted to do was cry, run, turtle, um, be as far away from there as I could. I felt so vulnerable. Never had anything like that happen to me in my life. And I know Paul's had stuff like this happen to him before. But... It doesn't get any easier to have people hate on you and beat on you and um, treat you with such violence. And here he is, I think, bruised and bloodied and being carried by a bunch of soldiers. And he says, excuse me. Excuse me. Could I just talk to them for a minute? Who does this? Can I just talk to those people that are beating the snot out of me and hating on me? Uh, okay. Aren't you that guy who led 4,000 people out into the desert and that's a real incident? They all got slaughtered. And the guy who led them escaped. And Paul says, no, that's not me. I'm from Tarsus. And then the commander says, all right, you can get up and speak. And Paul stands up in front of this crowd that wants to kill him. And he says, brothers and fathers. In other words, family members. Listen. Listen to my defense. And I wish we had time to go through all of it in detail, but we don't. I want to say two things that I see in it. One that I think I see, and two that I'm sure I see. Here's the thing I think I see. 
We talked last two weeks ago about how love could blind us sometimes. I think I might see a little bit of that happening here. And I want to tell you how I see that. Um, In the end of Paul's speech, or just before they cut him off and start yelling again, he talks about how he was in the temple praying 11 years earlier, and the Holy Spirit said to him, he fell into a trance, and and Jesus said, get out of Jerusalem, they're not going to believe you. And Paul cannot believe it. He cannot believe that they wouldn't believe him. And I think the reason that he can't believe that they wouldn't believe him is, is a believable reason. It's because he looks like them. He has their experience. He has done all the things that they've done. He is who they are except for the grace of God to him. And I think Paul really thinks that he is God's, uh, like the perfect person to share the gospel with these people. So I've been thinking about how he's wrestling with what's my calling in Jerusalem? Like, Lord, why do you have me here? And in Jerusalem, there are all these people that look just like him or just like he did. And I'm thinking that Paul's sensing a part of his call is to convert these people who were just like him. And part of why I think that, and I think, I want to tell you that I think his discernment is a little bit off here is because in in the beginning of his speech, in chapter 22, verse 3, it says, Paul says, and this is a literal translation, being zealous for God as all of you are today. It's different than our NIV is going to read, but he's saying to them, you're all zealous for God. And I think, I'm not sure I'm right here, but I just think that this this is a little bit of being blinded by love i mean he tells us when he he writes the book of romans he spends three chapters um wrestling with what is god what is god doing with the people of israel who reject him chapter 9 to 11 and at one point he says i love those people so dearly and so deeply that if i could i'd give up my own salvation for them i love them that much but here so here he's saying being zealous for god and I think that perhaps outside this moment, Paul would maybe say it a little differently. I don't think that these people are really being zealous for God. I think they're being zealous for their traditions. And I think that um, they're not filled with the Spirit of God. They're not uh, genuinely looking for the kingdom of God. They're hungry and thirsty to see their own traditions protected. So I just think Paul's trying a little too hard to win these people over. That's the first thing I think I see. Here's the second thing I see. Love and courage and an ability to keep his head in the most unbelievable situation. I don't know if any part of my retelling and dragging Nick through that experience of the text was helpful for you to try to be on the level of the head, but at the level of the heart, like feel like what it would be like to be in Paul's shoes. But I don't know that very many of us would have the composure, the wherewithal, 
to be able to stand up as he stood up and deliver that speech and that testimony as he did. And so what I see in Paul is this incredible stability that comes from being rooted in Jesus Christ and in his love. Like this one who said to us last week, I don't care. I'm willing to suffer and even to die for the name of Jesus really isn't afraid. He has no fear. He can stand up in front of the very people that just tried to murder him and testify and share the gospel. That is a, that's a rootedness, a strength that can come only from Jesus Christ in him. But it's also compelled by the love of Jesus Christ for him and through him. It reminds me of Jesus himself when he's on the cross and he's bloodied and he's beaten and he's racked with pain and he's looking out and he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I mean, it's this, just this incredible ability to not have your eyes on your own self. Right? Paul's imitating Jesus. Jesus has got the sins of the world on him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, He who knew no sin became a sin offering. He's got the sins of the world being attached to him on this tree, on this cross. He's beaten to within an inch of his life and he's not thinking about himself. He's so rooted in the love of God the Father, so grounded. He's not not crying over his own pain. He's not focused on himself. In any way, he's saying, Father, release to these people forgiveness. Father, give them what I have and what we have. Father, let the river of life that flows through me, that fills me, let it go to these people. It's incredible. Beautiful. And Paul right now is embodying He's living out in front of this crowd that same forgiving love of Jesus. And here's what I wonder. Who in that crowd was impacted by that love that day? When Jesus does this, there's a soldier standing at his feet that says, Surely this was the Son of God. Who's in the crowd in Jerusalem? Who's watching a man beaten within an inch of his life get up and share the Jesus, share the gospel? Who's watching that? And who says, how can that man do that? How can that man not be angry? How can that man get up and love all these people? Who's watching that? That comes to the Lord that day or through that. And I wonder, how many believers are watching Paul? How many believers are in the crowd Because thousands of them in Jerusalem came to Christ, right? 
How many of them are in the crowd watching this happen, kind of panicking, thinking, I hope they don't kill him. That could be me next. What's going to happen? And watching the stability and the rootedness and the strength of character and of love that flows through Paul as he stands up and doesn't utter a word of anger, but testifies to Jesus Christ. Who's watching? Who gets impacted that day? In a little bit, Paul writes this letter to the Philippians and he says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Let me read that again, that last verse. Because of my chains, because of my suffering, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So I ask the question, who's watching? And the answer becomes, most of the brothers and sisters. Friends, you're being watched all the time. You and I are being watched by each other. And we're being watched by the world. What happens to us when we get squeezed like Paul got squeezed? I began by saying we don't experience the same kind of rage and maybe physical violence that he suffered. But as we step out to obey Jesus, the guidance that he gives us, and to love and to serve him, and we face obstacles and we face hardship and we experience suffering, we're being watched. And every opportunity that we get squeezed is an opportunity for Jesus to be on our lips. Every opportunity where we get squeezed is an opportunity to tell our story. Paul's telling his story. Every opportunity of hardship and difficulty is an opportunity for the Lord to be lifted up. Wow. What a privilege. What a privilege that my life and your life could be used moment after moment after moment after moment to say, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I want a life like that. The Lord wants all of our lives to be like that. But they don't get like that just by accident. They get like that as we passionately pursue.
pursue, seek, follow after the Lord. The same letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, very end of his life, chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. Never strike you. It's the end of his life. He's already done all this ministry that we've read about. Thousands of new believers, miracles, churches planted. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing with him in his sufferings. I want to know him. Well, he wants to know us too. He delights to know us. He delights for us to know Him. And it's in the knowing, it's in the knowing that the becoming happens. In the knowing that we become like Him. Like Paul says, we all with unveiled faces reflect His glory as we reflect on His glory. So this morning, the Lord says to us, even as He calls us to seek His face, and to obey the guidance that He's giving, even if that leaves us in an in-between place of not knowing what comes next. You'll notice we end our text and Paul doesn't know. Not quite sure what the assignment is. Where are we going? What do you have for me? But on the way, on the way, it's the testimony of Jesus. And so the Lord's call and this invitation to us this morning is be my children be children who are so full of me that whatever happens i'm on your lips and i come out amen all right let's pray These words come to me, Lord. All is grace. That this invitation you give us this morning, it's not something we have to strive and work hard for in terms of doing ourselves. You're calling us to know you, to love you, to come after you, and that as we do so, you delight to pour yourself into us. You delight to... fill us, to make us like you. And so, Lord, we thank you that all is grace, and we pray that you'd strengthen our hearts in that grace, that you would give us the same delight that you had in sharing grace, the same delight that animated and filled Paul as he stood up in front of his enemies. God, let that be true of every one of us. Um, Let Let all of our life, whether we know exactly what's next or what you're doing or not, let it all be testimony to you, Jesus. Amen.